Hello and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast in conversation with Nikki Aiken where I look at the issues affecting the two cities as well as talking to people who live and work in the two cities and today uh, we will be uh, looking at the support and uh, issues surrounding IVF uh, treatment in the workplace and you can listen uh, to this podcast in all the usual places like uh, Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts so please do listen and to the other episodes that I've done and uh, do subscribe if you wish to. So today talking about IVF treatment and supporting women and men going through the treatment while they work as well I'm delighted that I'm joined by a uh, group of brilliant women who are campaigning and working in this field. Uh, first of all, I'm joined by Becky Cairns and Claire Ingle, two of the three founders of Fertility Matters at Work. They are on a mission to improve support in the workplace for those needing fertility treatment to build their families. Uh, and they educate businesses and organisations about the reality of undertaking IVF when you are still in work. And I've also got with me today uh, Natalie Sutherland, who is a partner at Burgess Me, a family law firm who um, services include supporting and guiding families navigate surrogacy and fertility law. Now, as a bit of background to you, um, I want to let you know that one in six couples are affected by infertility, which is a big number, and that surprised me as well when I learned about it. Fertility treatments cuts through all socio and economic backgrounds and ethnicities, and it's one of the big issues um, that we're looking at today is that there is no general statutory right for taking time off uh, if you need to attend appointments for fertility treatment. So that's quite a tough um, thing for people to go through. Um, and undergoing IVF treatment while still juggling a career is difficult. And over 36% of staff undergoing treatment have considered leaving their job, which is very, very drastic. Um, so ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. And with that quite scary and quite, you know, concerning stat of 36% of people in work thinking about giving up their jobs, what can you tell me are some of the challenges in the workplace in particular? So perhaps uh, Becky or Claire, you can start me off on that. Yeah, thanks, Becky. Yeah, um, we have, um, that statistic was taken from our 2020 um, fertility research findings. And I think what's important to recognise is, I think there's a lot more than that 36%, because anecdotally we hear from a lot of people across our social media platforms that say they've left or they've set up their own business or they've been unable to work um, whilst going through fertility treatment. And equally um, in that same research, we found that 70% of people take sick leave whilst in work as well and undergoing treatment, which is exceptionally high and a massive organisational impact. So I guess fundamentally, there are two types of people or two types of employees, those who disclose and those who don't. Um, those who disclose um, report to us, they feel vulnerable, they're not reassured, they um, feel that they're overseen for career development and um, job prospects, they give it 
big projects are taken off them and given to other people if they disclose. Um, they have um, repeated and increased anxiety with every failed cycle because we need to remember IVF is not a magic wand. It doesn't generally work first time. So people have to go through this two, three, four, five, six, even maybe even more times. And then you've got a group of people who don't disclose, who generally are the, again equally as vulnerable and frightened. They um, take time off sick or they take unpaid leave. The unpaid leave then impacts on them financially when they have to pay for treatment because we know the NHS doesn't fund a lot of treatment. And then they worry about sickness impacting them later in their career. So potentially for redundancy selection or via attendance management processes. So there's a whole host of kind of complexity around people in the workplace and disclosing and not disclosing. And we must remember that a lot of people as well work in environments that have children or babies in, you know, people who work in midwifery, people who are nurses, pediatrics, teachers. These people are faced with, with that reality that they can't have a child or they have to um, access assisted reproductive treatment to actually have a family of their own so it's quite complicated. Becky did you want to come in then? Yeah I was just going to say um, I think the number of people who don't disclose is actually much higher than we realise and both Claire and I say we, we're both HR professionals between us we've got over 35 years of HR experience and during that time not one of us ever had anybody come and say I'm going through fertility treatment what support is available or what am I entitled to? And what we've come to learn through speaking with people and going through it ourselves is that the reason people aren't saying is through fear. And mm -hmm. that all stems from that lack of protection and they hide it because they think they might be adversely impacted. It might be used against them in redundancy or they might not be considered for that next promotion or absence management or even just simply the perception that they're not as committed to their jobs because they're actually thinking about having a career. and. Just coming back to that statistic of 36% who consider leaving their jobs, I was one of them. So I went through um, five cycles of IVF before I then had to use egg donation to have my children. And this was all over a two year period. And my workforce workplace was very supportive. I was given flexibility for time off. Um, but quite often these journeys to conceive through fertility treatment they don't work first time and so you're going through multiple rounds the emotional impact is huge that's another thing that came out of our survey and I got to a point where I felt like I just can't manage the two it was like another full-time job going through IVF and and I felt like I was constantly letting people down and I really did I remember saying to my manager at the time I, I think I need to take a career break or I think I need to step away because I just can't manage this and eventually we came to a point where I took a sideways move outside of the development pipeline. So again, kind of sacrificing some of my career for this. Um, and I reduced my hours to four days a week so that I could fit some appointments in and, and kind of balance things more emotionally. But there are people who are leaving their jobs because they just can't see a way forward. And because there's no protection there, they don't feel like they can say to their employer, this is something I'm going through and something that is a medical issue as well. I mean, the World Health Organization defines infertility as a disease of the reproductive system. Yet quite often it's seen more of as a lifestyle choice rather than a medical need. And Natalie, um, just explain, you've got a new role within 
your law firm yet. You, are you a fertility officer? Fertility officer, yes. So, so what does that um, involve? So that involves being the point of contact for anyone in our firm that might need to access kind of fertility information. But the, the, the main point about having it is actually having it. So being that point of contact so that, so that the staff know that we consider this important enough to have somebody appointed as, um, as someone to be there to talk to. Because it's very much um, a lottery in terms of whether or not you disclose or you don't disclose. And a lot of that depends on your individual employer and whether you're in a, in a male-dominated environment or you know, any other kind of environment that might um, you know, have cause all these fears that, that you have about whether or not you disclose. And lots of people that, uh, that I've, I've spoken to, lots of clients, you know, they, they are the non Discloses. You know, you were mm. just too scared to say anything because of all of these fears about the perception. So having a fertility officer, I hope, takes that away because it signals to the staff that you can come to this person. It's already there. You don't have to worry about who it is you should talk to. There is this dedicated person. Yeah. And I think it's important to also remember that it's not it's not always the woman who's got the yeah. fertility issue it could be a man uh, her, um, her partner who um has got a low sperm count or, or something and uh, but she's got to go through the treatment so I, I guess there's that balance as well that it, it affects couples it's it's not just a woman's health issue Absolutely. We were actually, when we, when we first talked about it, it was kind of initially called women's officer. And then I was like, it's not quite right because mm. fertility issues affect both sexes. And what we also want to do is whilst, yes, we have at the moment only female solicitors. So, you know, that's who it would, it would impact directly. But, um, but if we were to have male em em employees uh, and either it was their issue or they had their own partners who were going through it and wanted to support them. So that's why um, we, we wanted it to be facility officer so that it's, in, it's gender inclusive. Yeah, that's great. And again, I think the other issue is that a lot of people often think that IVF is kind of like, it's, it's, it's quite often called a lifestyle choice. When, and I think maybe that's because it's got that, again, it's, it's that wrong belief that it's, you know, high-flying city women who put their careers on hold so they could you know get to the top and now they're you know they're, they're in their 40s and they want a baby that's complete nonsense isn't it yeah completely I was 28 when I was diagnosed with early menopause early menopause and I had to then suddenly think right okay I was told if I was to have any chance of conceiving I had to go through IVF right then and and that was a medical need and there's also all of the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community who exactly. want to build a family and their only way of doing so is through fertility treatment so it's it's so much broader than I think people realize in terms of people who go through this and it isn't just people who want to choose and want to think oh well maybe I'll go through it now and maybe I'll, I'll we'll have twins that's another <laughs> misconception and and the fact that it, it doesn't always work IVF doesn't guarantee a baby it gives a chance of a baby it's and quite often people are putting so much of their emotions and finances and and time into this with no guarantee of bringing a baby home at the end of it and so there's there's also that group of people to think about as well who go through this and actually don't we're fortunate we we have our children now but we know for many that that isn't the reality and and I think just thinking about women who they are predominantly the ones that have to go through the the main treatment and 
we think about the gender pay gap and the, the glass ceiling that's there that we're trying to break and and these people are going through this which could last years and yeah, yeah. they're putting their careers on hold they are not going for promotions they're hiding this and and they are being adversely impacted in their careers because of their struggle to build a family yeah exactly so how does it work now in your firm so if a, a man or, or a woman is considering uh fertility treatment um to help them have a baby or, or their partner have a baby do they come to you first or, or, or what, how does it work so it's, it's entirely a, a choice. So they can still choose not to say anything. That's still entirely, it's a personal issue and it's not compulsory at all. Um, and then I, I've been the person appointed because of uh, my own issues with infertility and my experience in the fertility and surrogacy world. So I was kind of, you know, the, the obvious choice really. And, you know, I, ha I happily do it. And I know that, you know, that I know it's helping my staff already and um, I'm able to be that sounding board. I'm able to um, put them together for peer support. I'm able to um, point them to our policies that allows them to organize time off. So if they want to have um, time off for an appointment, they don't need to tell anyone else. They can just tell me. I can liaise um, confidentially with the um, with the founding partners, arrange for their time to be their work to be covered while they're having their appointments and not have to tell anybody about the reasons for it. So so it's kept confidential for, for their um, for them as well. Mm. Um, but ult ultimately, it's 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 a it's having it's having the person there to go to, and I'm hoping as well that with a lot of the um, interest in this this appointment as well, and the work that Fertility Matters at Work does, that lots of people will see the benefit of having someone in their organisation that can be that um, that point of, of contact. Yeah, I think your your um, your law firm should be applauded, and you, Natalie, for you know being being that supportive in what can be, I'm sure, a very stressful and also time consuming all, all the all the appointments you've got to have mm. and that will be stressful enough so you know I applaud you guys for that um Claire why do you think that people still feel they have to hide behind any you know taking time off for, for sickness reasons or whatever because they want to try and try for a baby I think, do you know what, Nikki, that's a really good question. I think there's loads of variables that play into this. Me personally, I was embarrassed. Um, I, I felt like I was a failure and it wasn't a very nice place to be because I'm, I'm very conscientious. I've always been conscientious through school, through university, always been a perfectionist. And then it came to this and should be the most natural thing in the world to be able to do. And I couldn't do it between myself and my husband. We just couldn't do it. And it just felt really silly, to be honest. But I think a lot of people hide it. There's, there's a society a stigma attached to infertility it still exists today and I think that's why workplaces need to catch up and, and I too applaud what Burgess Mia doing and Natalie's doing and I do think that there are a lot of organisations that have those people in place but they're not labelled fertility mm. officers as such they're just people so now I'm very open in my organisation that I work in um, with people and they come to me and they ask me about fertility treatment because I've been through it and I'm open but I do wonder if my story had ended differently and I didn't have a successful pregnancy whether I'd be that vocal about it and um, you know and it's just it's also that thing about taking time off sick and not being want to be seen as flaky or um, you're not sick are you I know, you're not sick. I know it's just but, and, and we should be we should be celebrating the fact that we've got this amazing science yeah. that now allows 
couples or individuals you don't have you don't have to be in a couple to have a have a baby but it allows people who want to have a child who want to give a child the best possible life yeah but also there is that other very important issue that no one ever talks about we need children because we need them to grow up so that they can keep our country our society our globe yeah going because without if we don't if we don't have children they don't become adults they don't go into the workforce we know, we know, but that's the challenge, isn't it, Nikki? So the landscape of, of workforce planning is changing massively. And actually, people need to think ahead. Organisations need to think ahead and go, what is our next big workforce challenge? So we've got a lot of people retiring. The baby boomers are at that age now where there's going to be a mass exodus of older people out of the workforce because people work longer. But equally, there are you know, millions of people up and down the country who are working later, they're, they're choosing to have families later, finding they can't, having that scientific um, or that biological battle, because when you get older, you, you do become um, less fertile and it's harder to have children and procreate. But, you know, th there's all these things that kind of feed into it. And actually, this is a real, this is a reality for organisations. I don't think anyone's quite caught up with that fact yet. And it's going to be part of workforce strategies up and down the country. Give it another five years or so that I think there'll be a lot yeah. more people on board with this. I also think it's really important to remember it's, it's, that it's why it's so vital that we have women in positions of influence and power. That's why we need more women in politics, because we need to be debating and passing laws that support women in the workplace and throughout their lives, as well as men. But, you know, we, we need to hear women's voices. And it's amazing to have you three here now, having gone through what you've gone through and being in positions where you can now lobby lobbying me and you're lobbying others to put this on the political agenda yeah don't you Absolutely. think yeah Absolutely. so what do we need so i've been looking at this and i am looking at bringing a private members bill to the commons in the next parliament that will you know give couples but particularly women but not not just women but men as well but particularly women the the, the ability to be able to take time off for fertility treatment rather than have to hide behind um, you know other reasons why do you think that's important and if so why Natalie can I start with you first why it's, why is that important it's vitally important and and I applaud you for um for bringing this subject back um to parliament um so you know obviously with with our company and with other companies that are offering these types of fertility benefits it's a lottery you don't know if your if your company's going to do it or not so if there is statutory protection then it protects everybody just like with antenatal appointments so so the individual going through it doesn't have to worry about whether or not they're working for an employer that gives these benefits or not so it takes away that lottery is about whether or not you, you should you know whether or not you could talk to anybody or whether or not you're working for this particular firm so absolutely I think it's a wonderful um position to be to, to, to take great and um, Becky or Claire I think you put it perfectly there Natalie it shouldn't be a lottery and quite often we find when people have had a really positive experience it's they start with well I was really lucky that my line manager let me have the time off and it shouldn't be down to the look of the drawer it should be the norm and just like with antenatal appointments, I never felt any guilt going for my antenatal appointments because I knew I was allowed to go. It was recognised. And that's what it's about. It's that recognition. It's giving them permission. And it's it's being inclusive for people, not just being family friendly at the point that people have a family, but 
people trying to have a family as well and and for all of the reasons we've talked about before I think fear disappears when things are spoken about and when there's something there that is for everybody to be able to take that just it takes away the shame from it as well it's it's this is the reality this is what people go through and and we're giving you permission to do so without any fear of negative treatment as a result great listen thank you so much for joining me today it's been a really interesting an important discussion, the first of many, I hope, over the coming months. And I'd like to thank Claire and Becky from Fertility Matters at Work and to Natalie from Purchase May for your brilliant work in this field. And to say to anybody out there who is considering going under IVF, that please do, there is a support there and there's organisations like these two brilliant organisations and others who can help you and support you. And please don't put it off to tomorrow you can have a baby you can try to have a baby and there is support out there thanks ladies for coming and joining me today thank you thank you very good i'll stop the recording now